It's the Adventures of Indiana Jim, episode 54, for the week of sometime in June 2019. Coming to you not exactly live from... The Cliffs of Insanity! Where life is an adventure. And if adventure has a podcast, it must be Indiana Jim. You have chosen nice. Don't tell me you've never heard of me. I'll explain. And I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. You, boy, are arrogant, hot-tempered, entirely too bold. I like that. Reminds me of me. I don't believe I've ever seen such a display of courage, skill, nerve, grace, stupidity. And now... That international man of mystery, that intrepid arch geekologist, Indiana Jim. I have entertained in all the courts of Europe and speak a ready wit in their every tongue. I told you I was famous. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Adventures of Indiana Jim. I am your host, uh, the aforementioned Indiana Jim, and I am here to welcome you to. The Adventures of Indiana Jim. That is like the worst intro of all podcast intros. Hello! I'm not here to bring you down with negativity, but to inspire you and to encourage you with how much better you are doing than I am. That's right. It's a comparison game, this game of life. And we're all just comparing ourselves to each other. How are you? You who are doing better than me. And I've really got to get a handle on using this VLC for playing these files it almost started just started going into my outro already um so here i am welcome you can email me indiana gym podcasts at gmail.com or dial 760-705-4639 that's 760-705-INDY and you can leave your voicemail for me on the uh, google voicemail line which while i babble i'm gonna go check my uh, Google Voice account and see if there's anything on there because I haven't podcasted in a while and you know there are reasons for that um, and and there are reasons against it uh, unfortunately I did not choose any of the reasons against it and here I am this episode which I have not titled yet but there will be a title eventually you'll see that and uh You'll know what it is before I know it now. And, well, that's it, and there's no voicemails. So, by that I mean I haven't decided what the title is, which that may be clear already. It's a mental health kind of episode, and I don't know, I don't know if, if, if it's mental health that is my issue or if it's just general angst. I don't know if angst is a mental condition. Maybe. Can you be diagnosed with angst? I don't know. It, it could be. Could could uh, midlife crisis be a mental illness? Maybe. So here's here's what's going on. I have for a long time, if you followed me for any length of time, struggled with this idea of purpose, this idea of identity, and it all goes back when I was talking about you know 2008 podcasting almost killed my marriage, which is more a, a play on play on words at kind of. It, more theoretical than than practical than than actual, but still, still there. So, 
If you go back and listen to that episode, you'll kind of see where my general angst has been coming from ever since then. When, when I started doing this, you know, shortly after we got married, a few years after we got married, actually. Well, let's just back up. College, I started writing, right? And sort of kept that going on the back burner while I tried to figure out life. And life was a blur while we had kids and, and our marriage was young and we were we moved a few times and I tried different jobs and it just kind of seemed to all come to a head, I guess, when things finally, for lack of a better term, stopped. When, when things started to relax. And, <clears throat> you know, for five years at Humana was the longest I was anywhere and then after that came my last stint at the uh, optometrist, <clears throat> being an optician. So since I came to work for the elementary school, running the computer lab with the elementary school students, things have stopped. Things have relaxed. And I, I don't say that as in like, oh, everything's great now. We still have to get our, our financial house in order. We still have to work on our self-discipline. I still need to get in shape, lose weight, and and really address what's going on in my head. But for the first time in a long time, I don't have anywhere else to go. I'm not looking anywhere else as far as uh, being an employee. Now I'm wondering, am I destined to be an employee? Am I actually cut out for running my own creative business? And I don't know if I am. And so what's happening now is my oldest is, is, has graduated high school. She is getting ready to go on to her uh, post-secondary education in the area of veterinary technology. She wants to be an equine vet one day or be in equine medicine one day. And which works out great because uh, I want to own horses someday. So there's that. I want to own land and horses. Um, but then again, I ask myself, do I really? This all came to a head recently. So for my summer job, I'm working for a company that rents furniture to television networks for sporting events. So when they set up their media trailer, which are these, you know, these construction trailer type things, <clears throat> these mobile homes that they pull into the media compound and they set up as a lounge or a workspace, or that kind of thing. And the first one I went and picked up some furniture from an LPGA golf tournament in a cargo van, which isn't anything, just a kind of a long, long wheelbase, high ceiling cargo van that was fine worked out okay stayed the night in a nice place um came home the next day in williamsburg virginia it was a lot of driving a lot of driving but it, it was mostly fine you know, it was sunny it was pleasant i got i got to visit with some friends of mine uh, official program observer scott breakall and his wife may i got to visit with them on the way down as i went through richmond the second one, the second trip, was a bit different. Um, my boss wanted me to get some time in the 26-foot truck, um, 
which that meant I went with my friend Rick, who kind of got me associated with this company. And, you know, I say we're friends. We're, we're more friendly acquaintances. He used to, he was dating my sister-in-law for a while until he cheated on her. So that's, it's weird. But anyway, so I went, I went with him. We went to New York City to load out furniture from the Belmont Stakes, which is in Elmont, New York, on Long Island. Not in Belmont, New York, as I had originally thought. Turns out the track is named for a guy named Belmont, who he and his business partner had, had founded the racetrack, so it was named after him. And so the Belmont Stakes are, you know, dedicated to this guy, Belmont, who founded the track. Whatever. Big horse racing guy in the 1800s. This truck bounced around so much, and and the freeways of Pennsylvania are so bad, and it was just it was just a horrendous ride in this truck and getting this furniture i've worked probably harder than i've worked maybe in my entire life especially at least in my adulthood because i'm not a manual labor guy <laughs> i've never have been um but i knew i could do it and and i survived i almost fainted a couple of times but i survived so i knew when to pause and drink and eat something so but this was at the very end of what we were doing so that was rough. And then, you know, got some driving time in the truck, which is fine. But it's, it's, I spent more time on edge and it was very, very stressful. I spent a lot of time and I don't know why this happened, but my anxiety just skyrocketed before, during, and after this trip. And I'm trying to figure out why. Mostly out of fear, just afraid to mess up because here you're dealing with NBC. National Hockey League, you know, ostensibly what you would consider important people, important clients that pay a lot of money for this furniture. And there's a certain expectation on you. Plus, you're driving someone else's truck going halfway, a third of, way, a third of the way across the country. And there's a certain level of expectations. There's a certain level of pressure there to perform. And yeah, I get I, I, I get performance anxiety. I do. You know, if it's just something off the cuff that I'm doing, just being silly and, and just, you know, I'll throw caution to the wind and I'll pick up the pieces later. It's when I anticipate what the pieces could be. It could, in fact, be. <laughs> you know, if it's, oh, it's just, you know, my personal humiliation. No, no big deal. You know, whatever. But if it comes down to, oh, you know, you don't want to wreck a company truck 600 miles away from home. Or, you know, you don't want to be stuck but I'll get to that later so I don't like it when I'm not in control of the vehicle I'm driving I have a, a lot of anxiety when it comes you know I need to turn off this air conditioner that helps <laughs> I forgot to turn that off so I don't know if you noticed it in the background but anyway so I, I get a lot of anxiety when other people are driving and I'm not and I get it's just it's just fear I'm just afraid because I'm you know, I feel like I react sooner than the person driving. Which my wife tends to have the same feeling about me, so. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. So, driving along with my friend Rick. And he, he knows what he's doing. He's driven trucks a long time. He's, you know, he's got CDL. He's driven semis. But problem is Rick likes to look at his phone constantly whether it's it's holding the GPS 
which we've got a truck GPS, and he's also looking at his phone because the, the truck GPS takes you along the truck route, and he's seeing where the route's taking him. He's looking at it. He's looking at traffic. He's looking through the list of turn-by-turn, seeing, oh, where are we going? Which road are we taking? Down and up, down and up, eyes down and up, down and up. And I'm looking at him. I'm looking at traffic. I'm looking at him. I can see the brake lights before he sees the brake lights. My leg is responding before his leg is responding, you know, just out of motor motor memory, motor function. <laughs> just my leg is just trying to press the brake that isn't there. <laughs> and it just, it drove me crazy. Now, did I say anything? No, because, you know, he's one of those, I'm in control, I'm driving, I'm blah, 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 you know. I'm telling the story. He's that guy from Pirates, and I'm the other guy. Okay, whatever you say. You know, and it's like, eh, I don't like the confrontation. Besides, I know if, if the truck gets in a wreck, you know, there's little damage is going to happen to the truck or me. Um, and I'm not responsible. That's that's on him. So, you know, there's at least that much. But just on edge constantly. And it's it's physically exhausting trying to not get hurt by bouncing around on the passenger seat of these trucks. Those passenger seats are not designed to be comfortable. They're not designed for passengers. <laughs> at least not designed for passengers for more than, you know, 100 miles. Ugh. So anyway, that was that was interesting. Um, we did get, though, that night, we got to stay in New Jersey in our hotel and wait to see the outcome of the NHL game, the Stanley Cup game, whether it was going to go to Game 7 or, or be over. And if it went to Game 7, that meant we get to go home. If it didn't, if, if St. Louis had won Game 6, then we would have had to go to Boston the next day and then back home, in which it would have been exhausting, even more exhausting. But that's neither here nor there. So we came home. I had one day off which was Tuesday, before Wednesday I had to go back out to go pick up the stuff from Boston because Game 7 was on Wednesday. We had come back from New York on Monday. Game 6 was on Sunday, whatever. So, back I went up to Cincinnati, which is a two-hour drive from my home, and come to find out, all four trucks that were there had to be unloaded. Rick was unloading three of them, loading his own before he went to Connecticut. And so the one I had to take, the 16-foot truck, had to be unloaded because it wasn't unloaded beforehand. Turns out somebody got fired over this. I don't know who it was, but whatever. So it spent three hours. I wanted to get on the road early because I just I like to get on the road early and, and get where I'm going, get to the hotel, have plenty of time to rest, you know, all that stuff. But no, I had to spend three hours working to unload this truck around people trying to unload two other trucks um, or one other truck, you know, and two people working in the warehouse to clean things. I mean, it was just it was just a mess and it just took forever, it took three hours to get that thing unloaded. And then I had to drive to Danbury, Connecticut which turned out to be a 13-hour trip, given you know driving time and stops and everything. So I got to the hotel. It was midnight. Now, luckily, I didn't have to be at the venue until, like, noon. So that meant I got to get, you know, I got seven hours of sleep, I guess. Um, had a good breakfast, but I felt, still felt tired because I just hadn't, I hadn't had time to recover from uh, the New York trip because... Rick and his 
glorious wisdom and his hurry to get back home decided after we realized that Boston was going to win and and take it to game seven, that we were going to go home, that he wanted to leave in the middle of the night because he wanted to get home before anyone else got back to the warehouse so we could get the truck unloaded, so we could go home and, and not have to worry about other people's trucks. And which was a fine point, and he did most of the driving, but I still, I, that one day was not enough to recover from the crazy sleep schedule. So I get to Danbury, and I'm exhausted, and I sleep the seven hours, and I sleep heavy, and I wake up, and I'm just not, I'm not ready to go. Breakfast was fine at a La Quinta, the La Quinta Danbury, and, which was you know, a glorious place to see both days, and I'll get to that. So, you know, now I'm dreading, so I got to go into Boston, which is this big, unfamiliar city, congested, you know, it's urban concrete jungle, and it's raining. All day it's raining in Boston. The GPS gets me to where I'm going on time, except the road that the arena's on, you can't turn left onto on the street I was on. I couldn't get back over to the right to make the U-turn down the way, which probably wouldn't have been able to do in this truck anyway so nobody would let me over so I had to go across this bridge well the bridge going across the this channel in the bay is totally backed up coming back the other way so when I get across the way I go around this one street and back around and then and then it takes you know a half an hour just to make that loop and come back across that congested bridge which they've got two lanes closed off on because they're working on the bridge um road construction gotta love it no you don't so then I get to Causeway Street and turn right, and then the arena's on the right. And then talk to the security guy. Hey, I'm here to pick up the furniture for NBC. You know, he lets me in, whatever. I go, there's like a little tunnel under the arena that goes back to the media compound where everything is crammed in tight. And so I get there, and typically when you get to the venue, the TV networks are done with your, your trailer. They're just working on their stuff. Well, I get there, there's three trailers, one for Sportsnet, which is Canadian, NHL, which they're NHL, they're from Canadian, but this is the league people. And then there's the NBC trailer. And then over off on the side, next to the tunnel-ish alley under the arena, kind of, you know, off the back 40 is another trailer, a fourth trailer, which had stuff in it. So it's pouring down rain. These guys are trying to abandon their trailers, but they're still using them. They're still using the furniture. There's still food and stuff all over these places. There's still food in the fridge. There's still people sitting in the chairs and sitting on the couches. And Did I mention it was raining the whole time? So inventory took forever, figuring out where everything was, how much of whatever we had. And then I had a temp, and I'm terrible at delegating. I, I hate telling people what to do because I just I don't know myself sometimes. So finding something for him to do, um, getting him in past security, um, just getting to the point where I felt comfortable loading things on the on the truck. Finally got NBC was finally like, okay, you know, because that lady wanted me to do their trailer last because they were still there. Well, I couldn't really move stuff onto the truck yet because I had to get tables first. And I just had to figure out what order I was going to go with things. And, and I couldn't wrap the couches because people were still sitting on them. So finally was able to get the full-size refrigerator, which actually surprisingly was pretty light between the two of us. We managed to carry it from the trailer all the way to the truck, which couldn't pull the truck right up to the trailers, you know, because of the, the pallets of things in the way and, and whatever. 
uh, geez, it was, and did I mention it was raining? Hard. And so I eventually gave up on the whole raincoat and everything, and I'm wearing the mesh shoes, and I'm pretty much just soaked. Get the fridge on there, and we start loading tables, and then the folding chairs stack right on top of the tables. And then I have to secure all that, drive the truck down to the alleyway next to where the other trailer is, and it's maybe 100 yards. Go to the other trailer. All the tables and chairs are sitting out, so load those back on, get the more folding chairs on. Um, you know, I had a mini fridge in there. And then a Keurig and a four-foot table and a metal six-foot metal cabinet, which I'll get to later. And keep in mind, I'm just I'm just explaining the story so you understand how much I had to deal with. So then I secure all that and I move it back, having forgotten about the Keurig, the four-foot table, and the six-foot cabinet. Got the tables and chairs and mini fridge on. Secured all that, pulled it back where I was. Start getting more stuff on there. Um, then we start wrapping the, the couches. And then I realized I didn't bring enough of the furniture blankets because we, we wrapped the couches. Two, there were there were three sofas and two love seats. <coughs> then coffee tables. The coffee tables and the end tables, the legs have to be unbolted and secured on the bottom of the table. And then that has to be wrapped in the moving blanket and then wrapped in the cellophane. Um, not wrapped, but strapped down with the cellophane just to keep them secure. Realized I didn't have enough moving blankets. I'm starting to freak out. I'm stressing out. And lo and behold, luckily, Rick, who had dropped things off a couple weeks before, left four additional moving blankets, which gave me exactly the amount I needed. The only thing missing was one of the, the little cheap mirrors that hangs on the wall. They lost it somewhere, but it wasn't that, like, they're not, like, expensive. Uh, when I was wrapping the one mirror we did have, I accidentally, I leaned on it, broke it. I was excited while it was in the, the blanket. Um, so I broke a mirror, um, didn't have enough. We, we usually drape a plastic bag over each chair as you stack it to keep it from, from hurting the chair, the upholstery did not have enough plastic bags. Now my boss and I had counted out the, the amount of plastic bags we needed, but I would, should have taken more and I didn't. Um, but eventually, cause see, I'd gotten there at 1230. We were done at six took five and a half hours just to, to get everything done. A lot of, and I feel like a lot of it was my own inability to decide what to do, when to do it, which order to do it in. Um, plus just trying to work around people, just waiting for people to move was a lot of it. And had to move the truck just a couple times out of somebody's way. Um, which wasn't too bad because I was moving it anyway, right? Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. So eventually got everything on there, got everything done, and I'm just worn. I'm soaked to the bone. I'm worn out. And I remember, okay, I got to get the Keurig and the four-foot table that I left in the other trailer. So I, I dismissed the temp, thank him for a job well done, whatever. You know, it's 6 o'clock. I pull the truck up under the alleyway, and I get back to that fourth trailer. There's the Keurig, which I have the box for, four-foot table, which is nothing, folding table, and a six-foot metal cabinet that I completely forgot about. So now I'm by myself. And the trailer is in like a construction area. Surrounded by gravel. So the push cart doesn't really work too well. It helped, but it didn't work great. I get the Keurig and the four-foot table out. 
it, through much consternation and effort on my part, it takes 20 minutes to get that six-foot metal cabinet. The door fall, fell off twice. Half drag, half pull, half roll. This six-foot metal cabinet over to my truck where I have to not rearrange a lot, of, just rearrange a few things to get that metal cabinet on there. I had enough space to get that on there, luckily. Because, I mean, it was filled. It was filled from the bottom to the top all the way back to the door. And I had just this area in the corner where I could get that six-foot metal ca- cabinet in there. I get the Keurig boxes. They come in these little padded boxes. Or a padded wooden crate, whatever. I get everything on there. Get everything done. It's now 6.30. Traffic coming out of Boston, I don't know if you know this, but during evening rush hour, is Ridiculous! I mean, you, you look at your Google Maps and look at the traffic, and every freeway going out is just red for miles. And it's just that deep, dark, almost black red. And so here I am, exhausted, stressed out. I had been really emotional for the last couple of weeks, and I, don't know why, and I don't know why. Very emotional. You know, missing my wife, which I'm not one of those people that misses people very quickly, but, like, I was almost crying cause, just because I missed her the day before. And I oh, that's so sweet. That, that never happens to me. Never happens. I, I'm usually this cold, distant man, you know. And I get emotional about other stuff, but I don't usually get emotional about being away from somebody. You know, like, she'll go on a business trip, and it's like, oh, good, peace and quiet for a while. <laughs> which, you know. She has learned not to take offense to the fact that I don't, oh, you know, I don't miss people. That's not what I do. But you know what? I was wrong. I do. I, I do miss people. And finally, I guess I decided to accept that. But so I'm, I'm, I'm soaked. I'm cold. I'm exhausted. I'm dehydrated. I'm alone. I'm in a strange city. I'm anticipating hours getting out of the city. And I'm so tired. And I got more driving to do. And I just lost it. Blubbering, sobbing, crying. Call my wife on the phone and I'm just like laying it all out there for her, you know, and just because she's my emotional support person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, typically I'm not the kind of person to do that. I'm not. Not that, that I believe men can't cry, you know, because I cry at movies. And, I, you know, if I'm upset enough to cry, I'll cry. I'm not worried about it. But, you know, it's not a macho thing. It's just a, I don't normally do that. And sometimes I wish I could, you know. And uh, she has to help talk me down off the ledge. Um, and I just, you know, I just want to go home. I'm hurt. My back's hurting. My arms are sore. My legs are tired. And I'm getting stronger than, than I was the times before, but I'm still exhausted because of the sleeping thing. <clears throat> I decide, you know, I'll try to book that same hotel that I stayed at the night before because by the time I get out of Boston, it's going to be evening. It's going to be dark anyway. So <clears throat> I hate driving in strange places in the dark where I don't know where I'm going. I, I can't really call and book a hotel in the state I'm in. Never mind the fact that I probably couldn't if I was driving anyway. But it was so slow, maybe I could have. Anyway, coming out of the arena wasn't too bad. Found a way, you know, a place where I was going to loop around to this particular interstate, which goes in this tunnel. If you know anything about Boston, the interstates practically all go in these tunnels. 
And I hope you're enjoying the story, by the way. This story brought to you by Angst. Let me take some water. Mm, so where was I? Ah, yes, angst. <laughs> so then the freeway signs are a little confusing because it comes to a Y, and it says this way, quarter mile this street, this way, exit 24 and 25. I'm like, well, I remember taking exit 24 coming in. Maybe that means exit 24 going out? Because there was no sign saying, you're still on I-93 this direction. You know, I'm like, uh, okay, well, I went that way. Turns out that was the wrong way to go. Now I'm going towards the airport. And I'm like, I am so mad. I'm so upset. I'm getting more upset. I'm like, I just want to go home. I'm getting pissed off. Uh, I'm saying words I regret. Um, <laughs> I just want to go home. I'm crying. I just want to go home. Get to the airport, finally see, you know, I just want to go home. Oh, Interstate 90 going west. Oh, I came in on 90 east. Good. Well, near 90. I don't care. This is going west. I know this is going west. Let's go. So I got on that one. Eventually that eventually that led me out of the city. And surprisingly, it only took 30 minutes to get out of Boston when I thought it was going to take three hours, literally by looking at the traffic. The beautiful thing about the people of Boston, and I got to hand this to them, when it's time to go, it might be jammed. It might be packed, but it flows. Like in Louisville, you get people that are jockeying for position and you know stopping and everything else. In Boston, it was like, okay, we're all just merging. Now we're all trying to crowd in together, but eventually we just merge together. It's just it just happens organically. It's just this thing that they do that just happens. I swear it's like magic. It's like everything's going five miles an hour, but we're all going five miles an hour. We're not stopping, you know. Uh, so I gotta. <laughs> I gotta hand it to Boston. You people know how to do traffic jams, okay? Much better than Louisville people. Louisville. Anyway. So, but I know how to get out of Louisville. I know 15 different ways to get out of Louisville by heart. <laughs> I had no idea with Boston. Um, I can get anybody out of Louisville at any time. Just ask. In, even in the dark, I've lived here long enough. So, anyway, uh, that was interesting. So, it took me. I got back to that hotel. I asked my boss if she could, you know, rebook it for me. She's like, why don't you get there? Um, try to rebook it, you know, whatever. Let me know. Call me if it doesn't work or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so I got to sit here and hope. I got to hope they have vacancies, which they had many, <laughs> which was hilarious when I get to it. Um, so, But I don't know. You know. I'm hoping they have a vacancy. I'm hoping that they'll take the business credit card I have. I'm hoping that I can rebook another room just by showing up. Like, get there at 10... 10.30? Like, it took a long time. It took me four hours just to get back to Danbury, Connecticut, which is a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Uh, so, you know, and I just want to go home. So, I, I could not believe the La Quinta Danbury is one of my favorite places I have ever seen in my life because the first time I saw it, I was like, simply exhausted and just glad to be there and get to bed. The second time, I was simply just glad to get there <laughs> and go to bed. <laughs> um, oh, and then I had to pee. I had to pee really bad. And so it, it, was, it was many miles from Boston before I could find a decent place to pull over and go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I think I peed a gallon. I really do. Um, anyway, TMI maybe, but that's just that was where I was at, you know. Um, it was like, you know, sitting through a four-hour movie and you didn't go to the bathroom. So... 
that was agonizing. But anyway, got that done. And I'm just, my legs are sore. My feet are tired. I can barely walk, you know. Finally get to the hotel. They have a room available, thank God. And and just use the same card that was used, uh, which was the company card that I had. Same one that was used to book the hotel. Get my room, a single king. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to get at least eight and a half, if not nine hours of sleep before I leave. I am not getting up at like butt crack at dawn just because I want to get on the road early. I am taking my time with this because I need the sleep. And I told when I told my boss, I just want to stop at that same hotel because I've already been there. I know where it is. You know, it's just, I, and I need to, like, I need to sleep. I'm, I'm worn out. And she's like, you know, I can respect anybody who, who knows they need to sleep. And, and just, I would rather you sleep than, than try to drive further. So, um, managed to get there, managed to sleep from maybe from like 11, I think it was 1130 by the time I finished showering and everything from 1130 to eight. So I got eight and a half hours of sleep. No, I woke up at 730. So, so eight hours, exactly eight hours, which was fine for me. Um, usually eight is fine for me, but of course I'm still trying to catch up. So I'm still kind of tired. Anyway, that day was much better. I did not take, so here's what's happened. See, I, I started taking my, I started getting back on my, the medicine that I take, which was Adderall and uh, Wellbutrin. And I started to think, because I was so exhausted, but I was still taking these, these pills, that there was something wrong with the medicine I was taking. The Adderall didn't usually affect me. You know, it, it kind of made me feel a little bit jittery once. But that was it. Like, okay, maybe because I coupled that with still drinking coffee, as was my habit. But I swear, I think the Adderall gave me some kind of mania because my headspace was not, my head was not in a good place leaving there. I was questioning everything. I was questioning my my regular day job. I was questioning my life. I was questioning my choices. (laughs) I was questioning everything. And, um... Not questioning my marriage or, or parenting, but I was questioning life. I mean, I really was, and it was it was it was a really dark place, <laughs> like very very dark place. Um, nothing I don't think I would act on because I'm too scared to act on it. You know, I'm too chicken to try to take my own life. That's ridiculous, and I know that's dumb. I don't want to do that. That doesn't help anybody. But it, you know, I don't have much else to to look forward to. <laughs> Um, just a six hour drive trying to get out of a traffic jam East Coast City that I'm not familiar with, which of course was overblown and didn't take that long, obviously. But my brain, you know, I was used to Louisville traffic. I, I had seen a two hour traffic jam coming out of Louisville and it, or going in. I don't, I, I just I don't know. I was not looking forward to it. So, anyway, I'm just going to turn my air conditioning back on because. I don't care if it adds extra noise. I'll just do noise reduction later, noise gating, whatever. So, it's just, it's warm in this room. All right, so where am I now? So, I didn't take it. I didn't take it that next day. Just, I wanted to get my, my give my system a rest. Because I knew when I wasn't taking it, I was... Not emotionally responsive. I'm usually cold. I'm a little more abrupt and direct and a little more, you know, whatever. But I was steady. So I didn't take it that day. I haven't taken anything since that day because I'm trying to give my system a rest. And then I'm just going to get on the back on the Wellbutrin and try to find something else for the ADD. 
even if I need anything for the ADD. I don't know that I do. Um, just the anxiety would be, you know. And one of the side effects of Adderall is anxiety and depression. Like, really? That's not helpful. So let's not take that anymore. <laughs> um, so, we're enough pharmacology stuff. And so that last day, which was Friday, this past Friday, 13 hour, 13 and a half hours to get home. And let me tell you, things conspired against me to get home. Pennsylvania was great. Like the road construction that you normally, that I had met on I-80 coming in or going out, coming back was almost non-existent. So Pennsylvania was beautiful. It was Ohio. <laughs> Gave me problems. Traffic jam in Akron. Traffic jam in Columbus. Um, stopped outside of Cincinnati um, at a place to get find get my last fuel and i stopped at a pump that confused me because it wasn't set up like the other pumps it had a pump for the uh, exhaust fuel additive thing and then that I, one i thought that was for the diesel so you had a push button for the additive and then you had a, a flip up lever on the diesel but the pump the hose was shaped differently so i went in and I, I was getting what i thought was diesel put a little bit in and it would stop Try it again, put a little bit in, it was stopped. So the pump was confusing me, and I was like, I, I don't like this. Um, I don't know whether I'm putting actual diesel in or if I'm putting the additive in now. Because uh, there was only one display of the price. So, which I believe now was diesel. But anyway, I was like, I, I'm not using this one. All the other pumps were taken. Like, okay, let me go across the street. Well, the only diesel they had available was on the truck side. They didn't have any on the car side, which is a 16-foot box truck. You don't need to go where all the big rigs are going. Nothing was open, no diesel in the car, so I was like, fine. So I saw a pump open on back on the other side again, so I went back over there, finally got all the diesel I needed. Um, I was just like, man, everything is just conspiring against me to get home. <laughs> it was dark, it was getting late, you know. So then I get on the road, and 15, no sooner, 15 minutes later, big traffic jam due to a, a, a car accident. So I had to wait through that, and, and there was a trailer that had jackknifed and gone off the road, and the trailer was stuck all the way across the freeway, so we all had to narrow down to this one lane over on the shoulder to go around, yada, yada, whatever. Finally get back to the warehouse, and, oh, added to this, I forgot to mention this, before I left the warehouse, come to find out I had run over something in my car, and my right rear tire was completely flat. Great. I'm going to have to change that to a spare when I get back. I'm not going to deal with it now. I'll deal with it when I get back. So then the next day, which was Thursday, when I'm in Boston, wife calls me and says, oh, Rick was there, and he said that you've got two tires flat on that car. I'm like, wonderful. And, and you know, my wife's not in Cincinnati. She's two hours away around Louisville, where we live. And uh, we don't live in Louisville, but anyway, we live in Indiana. Because I'm Indiana Jim, darn it. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to have to deal with that when I get back. And so when I was having my breakdown in Boston, that was another thing. It was like, I have to deal with all this. This is going on. This is going on. I feel like this. I have to stop here, and I've got this much driving to do. And when I get back, I have to deal with this car thing. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm upset about all the stress, the finances, everything in life I'm stressed out about. And just, you know, I got to deal with this and I got to deal with that. And we just, it wasn't pouty. It was like panicky, like freaking out. Like, not like, I wasn't sullen. I was crying, freaking out. 
And so she decided to help figure that out. So what happened was uh, her mom and my daughter, they got a replacement tire to take up there, which was fine anyway because I didn't need two tires. Ended up that right front tire was not flat. It was low, but it was not flat. Uh, But I only had a mini spare anyway, so I would not have been able to get two hours home from Cincinnati to Indiana um, on that mini spare. So it was a good thing that they went and got that tire. Got there, had to change the tire. It was fine. I was tired, but I you know, got it off. I was getting ready to go home. So I was fine. I, I can do this. Did that just fine. No problem. Got all my paperwork done. My timesheet filled out. Receipts logged. The whole deal. Finally going home. I go out of the warehouse, over the little exit, turn onto the freeway. I drive five minutes. Another big traffic jam road construction moving condensing three lanes of freeway traffic down to one (sighs) i just wanted to go home (laughs) and so that took an additional 30 minutes to sit through that then smooth sailing after that all the way home i have so you know how when you're driving a long time, you get that tension in the muscles in between your shoulder blades? So I had that from all that driving. It's still not gone. Here it is Wednesday. I came home on Friday. It's still not gone. Those first two nights, I, I couldn't even hardly lay down. It was so bad. Um, eventually figured out we had Dones in the house, so I took that. That helped. And every day it's getting better, but like... This morning, I actually waited until I actually woke up in my normal time. The day before that, I'd woke up at 5 in the morning to take some and then sleep down on the couch, the reclining couch downstairs. night before that, I woke up twice. And the night before that, I woke up twice. Excruciating back pain. And I've been to chiropractor before. My issue is down low, my, my you know sciatic nerve, that kind of thing. So having the back pain up in the middle in the thoracic area is unusual for me. And it's all muscle because I can usually, I can adjust my own thoracic just by pushing against the door frame and getting my fist back there and my knuckles. And I can get that thoracic to move. It's not my spine. It's the muscles. So I've been taking, I've been living on Dones. <laughs> Today was the first day I actually slept the whole time, whole night through till morning. Um, and uh, my next trip is not till Friday. Simple, easy day up and back. Um this time taking furniture, unloading it, setting it up in the trailer, and then coming home from Detroit. Uh, it's a three, it's a four-hour drive from Cincinnati. Um, you know, I can make that in two legs, no big deal. Hopefully my back will be better by then. But I've had a few days to really reset, rest, think. And I knew I had to get on here and tell this story. Now... If you've held with me, thank you. What is the point to all of this? Well, I am now, I'm, I'm looking for purpose. I don't know what my purpose is anymore. I used to think I knew. I used to think it was music. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I'm a believer and, and, a, and I believe in speaking encouragement and love into people's lives and 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 speaking the truth of the the gospel message to people 
but I don't feel like I'm a missionary. I'm not a pastor person. I'm just a, I'm a regular person who has who has found love and joy in his life and wants to speak that back to other people uh, and encourage other people. And but but then again, do I? You know, because I've, it's always something I've done, but it's not something I would have chosen vocationally. And I used to think that was through music and and. Um, now if, uh, you know, I used to believe that the arts, you, you use them more literally to, to really speak your message. And then slowly over time, I've learned that metaphor and, 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 and symbolic imagery is perhaps often better, you know, and speaking into people's lives practically and not just theologically, I guess, if that makes sense, it's whatever, you know, um, and I've done the church staff thing. I did that for a couple of years as a music leader and, and got out of it because I didn't, it was nothing about the church. It had more to do with my relationship with, with the pastor. And, and there are different pastors, different personalities. Um, I just couldn't work for him um, because he wanted me to be a little version of himself because he felt like the way he learned to do ministry is the way you do ministry, you know. Kind of got out of that. I didn't like the glass house thing. And it was just, it was getting annoying. I didn't like it. And uh, I've currently almost gotten out of all of music altogether. I was a music major for Pete's sake. My, my middle child is named after John Williams for the love of Pete, or for the love of John. And, and yet I've left behind almost all of, of music. You know, I thought writing was it, and it still might be. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it, but the, as the stresses of life take over, I lose the will to put the words on the paper. And I've started to question, is that really my purpose? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And then I've even come to different realizations about what you're supposed to be doing. Because there's a lot of people that say, oh, you know, what is God's will for my life? I need to do what God's will is for my life. Which, as, as I've studied and read, the more I've, the more I've experienced in life, it's, God doesn't so much care about what you do... It's more about what you believe and how you do what you do. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game, you know. Whatever you do. Uh, I think the Bible says something about whatever you, your hands find to do, do that, um, you know, um, to the best of your ability. And, and giving all glory to God, you know, that kind of thing. And so I don't believe there is one thing that I'm supposed to do. But then I doubt that. I wonder, is there one thing I'm supposed to be doing? Um, you know, I really didn't want this to turn into a, a theological discussion, but when you had the Apostle Paul had his episode, or Saul on the road to Tarsus had his episode where he sees Jesus and says, why are you persecuting me? And I want you to go and do this. You're going to go do this. This is what I want you to do, Saul. Rename you Paul. I want you to be my missionary and I want you to build my church, Okay. That's a direct instance where in there God says, I want you to do this. And all throughout the Old Testament, Moses, I want you to go do this. And Gideon, I want you to go do this. And Samson, you must go do this. No, I don't want to. You know. <laughs> so anyway, it's replete with God telling certain people, go do these things. But then, And even Jesus to the rich young ruler says, I want you to sell everything you have and follow me. Well, he didn't want to because his possessions were great. 
And people say, oh, Jesus doesn't want anybody to be rich, which was incorrect because Joseph of Arimathea was still rich when he loaned Jesus his tomb. Okay. Enough of that. Enough Sunday school lesson, okay? <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm not sorry, but, you know, uh, I apologize for the uh, deviation from the point. Is it the point? Maybe it is the point. I don't know. The point is, I don't know what to do. <laughs> that's that's the point. Um and yet, I don't know if there is an answer to here's what you do, because in my in my nervous breakdown, I'm calling it a nervous breakdown. In my complete and utter total breakdown, I lost sight of everything that brings me joy. Because when you're when you're in the stress, when you're in the fight, you can't see the joy. And everything that I, I've come to learn from, from Tony Robbins and Gay Hendricks and Cliff Ravenscraft, it's all left in my brain. And now I'm having to recover it. Um, because the strategies of, of being able to stop, interrupt the negative pattern, replace it with positive pattern, move forward, was completely lost on me. In my exhaustion, and probably I was addled by the drugs... And the exhaustion, and the emotion, and the fear, it all just overwhelmed me. So now why am I here, back on this microphone, with this podcast that I wasn't even sure I was going to keep going? You know, I feel like I've come to so many breakthroughs, and yet nothing seems to take hold with any consistency. And I put so much pressure on myself, especially with create creation of content like it's got to be worth something it's got to be meaningful it has to be well thought out and planned and it has to be this way and yet i don't want to restrict myself to oh i'm chained to this format or i'm chained to this process or i'm chained to this idea and i just you know because i look back at what i used to do with with the adventures of indiana gym and everything was kind of Everything kind of fed off of other podcasts like Slice of Sci-Fi, The Dragon Page, Cover to Cover, um, and my various other friends who podcast. And the various forms of media we were all involved in together it was like a little bit of an echo chamber. So now, with so many choices, I now wonder, what am I supposed to be? Who is Indiana Jim? What is his... What is the deal? You know... Am I, am I a geek who talks about geek TV and movies? Well, I don't like all that stuff. I don't really watch all that much. You know, Star Wars gets a little old after a while, dare I say. But not for me, but it does for others, you know. Um, and then, I, well, well, I could talk about all the movies that I love, or I could talk about all the books that I, well, I don't read as much as I used to, and I don't watch movies like I used to, and I'm playing video games now, but then I'm getting tired of video games because I need to write and this is where my mind goes crazy. So why am I here in front of this microphone, you're asking? Because I had to. I just knew I had to. I had to get on here and tell my story because it's the adventures of Indiana Jim, and by golly, the last week and a half has been quite the adventure, to say the least. And then can we, you know, so... Is it an audio journal? Is, is this just an audio journal where I just do a bunch of navel-gazing and you tune in? Because I remember that I, I came to the realization that I wasn't being silly anymore, and, and my best content was when I was being silly. And there is nothing in here. Every, yeah, uh-huh. 
the content that you've experienced has been far from goofy. Far from silly. But hopefully, maybe, maybe helpful. Because, you know, maybe you can tell me what I'm supposed to do. Maybe you can tell me um, by, by chiming in at Indiana Gym Podcasts at gmail.com. That's what I do. I podcast, so it's the verb, Indiana Gym Podcasts at gmail.com. Um, or voicemail, 760-705-INDY, 760-705-4639. Tell me your experience, or tell me what, what value you've gotten from my content, if any. Um, tell me what you want to see me do. Tell me anything, anything at all. Um, tweet me, at Indiana Gym. Um, yeah. And then I've got, you know, I've got my YouTube channel. I've got the 40 plus gamer thing, which I'm not doing any streaming right now. Maybe someday. Um, but streaming takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, which I'm not really keen on putting all that time into sitting here playing video games for other people not to watch. <laughs> but I am doing, uh, like highlight videos from Battlefront 2, uh, with, with goofy captions. So I'm just trying to do a little bit of that. Um, I will get back to the writing. You know, I, I just yesterday spent some time on the final revision for a final pass through on, on the Blade Wielders book one. And now I'm thinking, oh, I gotta get, I gotta do covers. And I listen to self-publishing and business podcasts and it's like marketing this and cover that and website this and social media. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to do all that. I just want to put the books up and move on which and and so you know it's easy to get lost in the process there but this is not a writing crusade episode this is a a general help indiana jim and the addled skull <laughs> the kingdom of the addled skull um I, I you know what's the moral of this story well i don't really know what the moral of the story is but What's the point? Um, I wish I had a point. I really wish I had a point other than just to say this is what my life's been like recently. And I'm struggling to find, I'm struggling to find the purpose. I'm struggling to find the goal. That's, that's it. I don't know my goal. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want to accomplish. I, yeah, do I want a life of ease? Sure, that would be great. But what area do I want to spend all my focus to, to get that? You know, or do I have to? You know, that's the other question. Do I even have to? I'll tell you, this job, this summer job, pays extremely well. Like that one trip to Boston in three days made more money than I make in two weeks going to my regular job. Even the one to New York paid more than that. So it's a really good summer job to have. It's really good at, at, at keeping the money coming in so we're not just dead in the water, you know. Uh, but... That's going to end, and I'm going to go back to my school job, and then what? Am I just here to just be a parent, just to be a husband, just to go through the motions? Because that's what I feel like I'm doing a lot of times. I feel like I'm going through a bunch of motions for a, an end product that I don't even understand, that I, don't, I can't even see the end of, other than, you know, hey, be a good parent to your kids and hope they're successful. Um, my oldest, she's going to be successful. I believe that. I believe that she has, she knows what she wants, she has the attitude to go get it. Um, 
I was actually reading her scrap. She did a scrapbook for her senior year, and she talked about her her parents. She talked about um, being made to play soccer. You know, at one point, um, and and how it helped teach her to not quit anything. And gosh, that filled me with so much pride because I was a quitter. And, and I've talked about that. I think I've talked about this to her. I've talked about this to my wife. I talked about this to other people. But when I went out for the football team as a freshman in high school, you know, I was I was nerd. I was picked on. I was poor. I was outcast. I was all this stuff. And I was bullied and picked on constantly. And I let that bullying drive me out of football practice, you know, training camp basically in the ninth grade and told my dad, I'm not going back. I quit. I'm not doing it. And he let me. And even at that moment, I knew him letting me was getting me off the hook. And and deep down I knew at that moment this was going to affect me for the rest of my life. And it did. There's so many times that things have gotten hard and I've quit. And, and sitting there underneath the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, crying my eyes out on the phone to my wife, I, I quit. I wanted to quit everything. I wanted to quit everything. But I couldn't, you know. And so... For my daughter to sit there and say that she's learned never to quit anything and that she learned that from us. I, I was, you know, it's like when you know you did it, you, you, got, you got one thing right. I won one, you know. <laughs> it felt so good to see that, to know that that has been such a huge message in my own head. And for her to get that, to know that, to know that I learned that lesson and I passed that on and she got it. Now, my son, he's, he's still working on learning that lesson because he does that. He quits when things get hard. And we've tried to pass on the same lesson with the same method to him. Uh, it's not taken yet. But anyway, I just I wanted to share that brief victory of parenthood. Um, you know, and, and, and the good thing is this, this vet tech program is 18 months. She'll be in it. She'll be going. She'll be going through it, and then she'll be done. It won't be like four years of getting a degree not going to have time to change her mind, you know, this kind of thing. She might change her mind someday, but I, I really doubt it because she loves animals. They Nothing lights her up more than animals. And uh, so I think she's really found exactly where she's supposed to be. And, you know, we never put pressure on her to be anything other than she wanted to be. You know, just because I was a music major and a musician and, and we got her started in orchestra, we let her take that at her own pace. And when she decided she liked ROTC better, she liked rifle drill and that kind of stuff, spinning the rifles and she decided she liked that more than orchestra. You know, I could have let that really bum me out. Oh, my daughter doesn't want to be a musician like I was. Oh, woe is me. It doesn't matter. She's her own person. She got to decide for herself what gave her meaning, what gave her value. And and I've let her do that. And, um, you know, it just feels good to see your kid become their own person. You know, and and for a long time, you know, she's not very talkative, so she doesn't just sit around and navel gaze and talk to you about everything that's going on in her mind. But reading her scrapbook and seeing, seeing who she has become and what she thinks and, and and how she thinks for herself, and the little bit of contribution that we made to that is just wonderful. And and you hope that that works out for the other two. <laughs> My youngest, she's pretty sharp. She's pretty together but but the middle one boy he is he is a mess and he is he is his father's child i'll tell you that much um anyway 
Where am I going with that? I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that now. But I hope that that put a smile on your face. Uh, and I just, I want to, I, I sit here and I want to say, my brain wants to say, my mouth wants to say, I just want to know what I need to do. But then part of me goes, do you really need to know what you need to do? Just do what you want to do. Do it to the best of your ability. And it's how you do it that matters. It's not what you do or when you do it or, or how much money you make. And that's the other thing. It's like I'm 42 now. I'm not getting any younger. And and the trouble is we're not getting any wealthier either. <laughs> um, so I've just got to, you know, I struggle with the quitting. I struggle with the difficulty. I struggle with the anxiety of what is to come. I struggle, I guess, with the fear of failure. And and that's weird for me to admit that, but I do. I struggle with the fear of failure. You know, you can't fail if you don't try, and if you don't try too hard, well, no worry about failing. But now I'm starting to feel like I need to try something. <laughs> oh, anyway, I have talked your ear off enough. Uh, I thank you so much for listening. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be back soon with more podcasts. Um, and I'm going to let my friend J.R. Murdoch tell you, remind you of the ways you can contact me. And uh, it's, just been, it's just been fun getting back behind the microphone. So thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next time. You've been listening to The Adventures of Indiana Jim, a production of Visionary Creative Works. Call the voicemail line at 760-705-INDY. That's 760-705-4639. Send your emails or MP3 comments to Indiana Jim Podcasts at gmail.com. Follow Indy on Twitter at Indiana Jim. Visit adventuresofindianajim.net for more information and audio content. This is J.R. Murdoch on Twitter at J.R. Murdoch and at jrmurdoch.com. <laughs>